and welcome to a special edition of Review Crew. Hi, Noah here. Uh, this time out, Catherine and I are going to be talking about what we've managed to see of the South by Southwest XR experience this year. We've been attending remotely uh, because uh, neither of us were able to go down to Austin for this year. And, uh, I'm, you know, I want to feel in some FOMO uh, about this. Catherine, are you feeling the FOMO this year? I mean, yes and no. Uh, you've you've done these festivals before, right? So it's mm-hmm. a very noisy, almost trade show floor like atmosphere. Everyone's got booths right up against each other. Uh, it's usually dark and loud and crowded, and like many um, like many VR experiences, they can really only have like one or two, maybe three participants going through the uh, experience simultaneously so the lines can get quite long Um, you know they might say come back in two hours and then when you get there oh we're sorry Uh, we had to bump you or something happened and then can you come back in another hour Uh, I'm not I'm not a South by South with judge like Kent by so I guess I'm not a VIP (laughs) (laughs) Uh, one day one day you'll want to be a judge although with that attitude maybe not so By the way, South by Southwest tends to be a well-lit and not a dark situation. Um, I'm feeling the FOMO mostly because like, I think half of everyone we know is down there right now, which uh, and there's there's plenty of stuff going on because there's like what Jenny Weinblum's giving a talk uh, along with the Secret Cinema and the Swamp Motel folks, although I guess that's, that's up online now. They got the video up already. Uh, there's um, an audio recording if you have a badge or other South by credentials. It is uh, not downloadable or listenable by the public. And uh, I believe it's just the audio. Yeah. Okay. Well, sorry, everybody. Uh, although uh, <laughs> we've got that press pass, so I think I might use that to go listen to the thing. So yeah. anyway, uh, that's that's my weekend sorted. Um, sorted, not sorted. We're going to talk about a number of the things that we were able to experience, uh, some of which we got via uh, our connections with Teams, some of which we were able to connect on the Vast platform, which uh, was uh, what South By was uh, using to uh, get out to everybody. We'll talk a bit about our our overall uh, festival and platform experiences towards the end, but we wanted to stay focused on the actual pieces for start because that is what advances the field and that is why you are here. So uh, let's kick it off. Catherine, you checked out a piece called Madam Pirate, and said you liked it, and I've chosen Madam Pirate to start <laughs> because it's called Madam Pirate, and I know, right? I'm in that mood. <laughs> so yeah, this is a piece out of Taiwan by Morgan Omer and Dan Chi Huang, and it is it's a really interested, interesting animated film that toggles between. 360 live action, so kind of a reenactment of this person's story, as well as tilt brush animations. So um, there's a woman who is sold essentially into slavery with her younger sister onto a pirate ship. And somehow uh, Cheng Isao manages to kind of like charm the captain and marry him. And then when he dies, she takes over the ship. And this is—is is this based on a real story? This, I, this sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's this like incredible tale of, I guess, 
you know, um, bravery and just her her trying to find her place in the world and keep herself safe, keep her sister safe. Um, and I just thought it was a really interesting use of multiple mediums because you you often will see animated VR films that are done entirely in tilt brush, or you'll see a 360 film in VR and it's entirely live action capture. But this was really beautiful in the way that it managed to toggle back and forth between the two artistic styles. And then there's a frame story where it's a grandmother kind of telling this legend to uh, a young girl who's I think supposed to be doing her homework or something and quite charming. Uh, it's about 15 minutes, give or take. And I think the, the portions of the tale that really um, kind of put you into the scene where you can witness this woman essentially bargaining for her life or trying to maintain order on the, on the ship, uh, those are often done in live action. And then there's things that are a little bit more fantastical, like when she talks about kind of this romance she has with the captain and the wedding, you get these beautiful tilt brush animations. Um, there's these very kind of abstract drawings of turtles made out of ribbons and things swooping around in the air. Um, and you do get the sense that like, she is, she is a warrior, like she's in charge and she's doing the best she can in a world dominated by men. So I really enjoyed kind of having that perspective. And, uh, I think this is something that runs through a lot of the programming and, you know, uh, kudos to the curators this year, but there's, there's a lot of stories centered around women, the female experience, and the perspective of women, especially women of color, which I think we're, we're probably going to, it's probably going to come up organically in some of the other pieces that we're going to talk about as well. Yeah. And there's, there's some pieces we might like, you know, hop over a little bit because we've, we've talked about them before. So, you know, Brianna's Garden, for instance, had an installation uh, for the AR. They also did uh, an, a VR version in alt space, which uh, sadly, uh, we we missed out on, or, or or at least missed out on so far. Maybe it'll come back, and we'll be able to check that out. But that that's a piece that we were able to uh, experience before in AR, uh, and have talked extensively with uh, the team behind it. Um, that that mixing of media inside the headset uh, that also reminds me a little bit of what uh, the Cassandra team did with uh, switching between the volumetric video and with the the game engine rendered rendered bits. Uh, for telling story. And I think there's something, uh, these modality shifts feel natural in VR in a way that uh, it might even be definitional to, to the medium for me. Yeah. Um, it's weird because I immediately thought about Vader Immortal. And then when you hear the legend of like Lady Koufax and like, that's all animated and it has a totally different art style than the rest of the game and then uh, another piece that was on the festival circuit was it uh we still live here i think it was um photogrammetry or like more of a scan of someone's tent in a homeless encampment but then when you picked up the object and engaged with uh, their memories that was animated and it's just like a really interesting way of doing kind of like an episode inside an episode, if that makes any sense. Like the inner layer of something yeah. is animated and the outer layer is more live action. Yeah. The, the, the dream sequence effect, right. You know, and it's, it's something, 
it's it's interesting because like what the 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 Ms. Marvel uh you know teaser trailer just dropped yesterday when we were recording this and that one mixes animated bits inside the frame and there there's a there's a kinetic nature to that and there's also this this idea of someone having a, a very vivid inner life and it gets represented through animation or gets represented through a different style and that seems to be something that's just kind of bubbling up in the in the culture as a whole right now um perhaps because we we ourselves are constantly mixing modes from from how we're experiencing things um, totally you had another another piece that you you flagged is also a piece i got to see during sundance uh and that's uh, surviving 911 27 hours under the rubble uh but I wanted to actually start. You, you told me that there was some like kerfuffle on Twitter about it. Let's start with that because I was I was not aware <laughs> that there was there was an issue going on. So someone who was attending South by Southwest took a quick picture of the booth and the way that the picture was framed. There were two participants sitting down with headsets on, and you saw the poster for the piece, which is a shot of the Twin Towers. And the production company's logo was not visible in the shot. What was visible was the MetaQuest logo. And I believe that because everything has been rebranded as Meta, they're not really using the Oculus VR for good logo or branding as much. But Oculus in the past, especially, I think it started in like 2016 or something, has been very, very supportive of these 360 documentaries, often showing uh, sensitive subject matter, from perspectives of people that you may not normally think about or set like a lot of projects centered around black and brown people, a lot of projects centered around women's perspectives. And so I view this as being part of that genre, but without the context of knowing that Oculus has been doing a lot of these uh, more activist or issue-centered documentaries for a while, it looked as if, oh, is this a video game? Is this interactive? Is this a simulation of 9-11? Why is this coming from meta? And so a lot of people took it out of context. But if you do a little bit more digging, I think that Targo, the production company Targo Stories, has done a really wonderful job of te- helping to like tell the story from the perspective of a single person. And well, so it's a lot more personal than yeah, just like, oh, it's a video game, you know. Let's let's hold let's hold on for that because we let's talk about the actual substance in a second here. But uh but expecting people to do a lot more digging on social media, Catherine. I know. <laughs> what do you expect <laughs> of humans? No, it is it is it is kind of interesting and I mean the VR the VR for good branding is still around. Uh, I saw it. I've seen it on a number of posters and pieces that are currently active we're going to talk a little bit later about on the morning wake to the end of the world uh which is also a piece that started at sundance and is is continuing uh here and and advancing its its timeline if you will um but there is something this collapse of the oculus brand into meta i i think is it's it's already proving to be like difficult for people to like wrap their heads around and these sorts of things where there's just sort of mass confusion but also to sort of mass confusion of the fact that there's this entire branch of of VR experiences um, that aren't games, and it, it, I mean, not being there on the on the expo floor, I'm not entirely certain 
how someone I, maybe it wasn't a person who was there. It was just people outside of yeah. Uh, uh, someone on, said that online. a friend sent them a picture, and I was like, well, if the friend was just passing through and thought the juxtaposition was odd, yeah, and then sent it to someone without actually like, oh, this is a documentary, yeah. And for me, at least, um, the imagery, the cover art, the poster that was depicted is about the Twin Towers, but this is also a personal story. So it wasn't like the image of the person in question, right? So you, you couldn't- Yeah, but you also know that like, you know, people walking through a space, they're going to walk up to something with the Twin Towers. If there's an image of someone they don't know, they're just going to walk right by, right? So like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, right? right. Like, yeah. <laughs> part of the game is being provocative and getting people to come over and being like, what is that, right? The, the part of the world where like, there's, there's no such thing as bad press, unfortunately- <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. not entirely true. Yeah, but and let's... and the person later deleted the tweet and was like, "Oh, I didn't understand yeah. the context. Like, it's not Meta producing this film." Yeah, but so let's talk about the actual piece. So you mentioned Targos, the people who made it, and this is really, um, oh, you know, it wasn't. I'm I'm remembering now. I didn't see this at, at Sundance. I saw this at Five R. So uh, ah, uh, sh- shout out, shout to, out to, the, to to Karen. Yeah, the Festival of International Virtual and Augmented Reality Stories (F I V A R S). And I saw this. Uh, it was last. It was it wasn't the one they just did. It was the one before. So oh, uh, uh, in October. Okay. In October. Yeah, and that was in person. Because it all starts to it all starts to blur. Yeah, um, um, this is actually available if you have a Quest device. Yeah. Uh, so t- tell us about this one. So this is the story of Janelle Guzman McMillan, an immigrant to the United States. And she talks about uh, where she came from, why she came to the U.S., how excited she was to really fall in love with New York. Uh, like many people moving to New York City, uh, she had a dream of being an actor or a dancer. Like she wanted to be in the spotlight. She wanted to be a star. And she was so excited to get this job at the World Trade Center on the 65th floor. And she talks about the day she went to work and everything seemed normal. And, you know, oftentimes um, oftentimes when you hear about these disasters and people recounting their personal experiences, it's the little things that stand out. So she talks about looking out a conference room window and seeing just pieces of paper flying from other floors kind of in suspended in air and they've done something really interesting here i'd love to know more about like the back end of the process somehow there are 360 images of the world trade center or just parts of like tribeca and lower manhattan from that era so late 90s early aughts um, and sometimes they're stills, but they feel stereoscopic. Like you turn your head around and you're like, wow, how did they do that? There's a lot yeah. of really interesting visual stuff happening. Or it's very subtly animated. So the one that sticks out to me is she talks about the plaza that was in front of the World Trade Center. And the water is moving and nothing else is. And you look around and it also has that film quality. Like these are clearly 35 millimeter or something scans. But to be kind of inside that era, that time, that place, and especially as a former New Yorker, like I immediately recognized some of the landmarks and the corners. And I was like, oh, yeah, here we are outside the Odeon. That's like a pretty well-known brasserie in Tribeca. And this is where the Twin Towers used to be. And they also toggle a lot between 
pictures from the late 90s, uh, the year 2000 and current day. And there's often like a transparency. So so yeah. you can see kind of like the ghosts of the past superimposed on the present. And I just... As, as a technical yeah. accomplishment, it's, it's really impressive. But in some ways, like more impressive is as, as a piece of documentary filmmaking, the, the storytelling here is also very strong. Uh, the thing that you didn't mention <laughs> that I think is really important about her story is that she was the last person to be pulled out of the rubble. She did not make it out when the tower collapsed, but she was the last person to be recovered. So uh, that, that, which is a huge thing, right? So this and, is, and, this and is, you hear it in her own words. She narrates yeah. most of the piece and you see her face. So they do have um, like a volumetric capture of her and she's look because it's VR, right? She's looking right at you. And as she's telling the story, you see the images and the images come to life. Yeah. And we, we get a lot of, we get a lot of insight into who she is, what her day-to-day is, uh, what her life is right now. And I, for me, when I watched it, I found it incredibly moving. And one of the things I was really struck by was the fact that the building had been hit and they were still like, well, should we keep on working or not? Like, do we really need to evacuate? And this, this for them, it was this slow motion unfolding as they realized what they needed to do. And it really struck me uh, how that was similar to how we all went through the pandemic. And I kind of found myself laughing because I found myself like, oh no, we're screwed. Because like we just can't absorb the shock. Like something happens and we 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 just try to go forward like things are normal, even though things are clearly not normal. Like as all that paper was falling, as it was clear that the other building was on fire, like people were still like, Well, do we need to leave for the day? What should what should we do? And it was it was like they were there for not necessarily an hour, but just felt like they were there for forever. And mm-hmm. that, and that's what kept them that's what caused the whole thing to fall on them yeah uh, and it's uh it's really powerful too because she uh she hasn't been to the memorial so you know tw- 20 years later it's her first time actually going to the memorial and seeing the names of her coworkers, some of whom were never found yeah. and you just get the sense of both the enormity of the tragedy but also um the the smallness of it too on on the, that person-to-person level yeah well, speaking of major bummers, uh, <laughs> <laughs> produced by the, the the VR for Good program, uh, but that are really well done, uh, let's talk about On the Morning You Wake to the End of the World. Uh, the first episode of this premiered at Sundance. We had the pleasure of having some of the creative team on the podcast. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, disclosure, uh, Michaela Ternaski-Holland, who, who works with us on occasion, is the impact producer for this piece uh, through the... Uh, Games for Change initiative. And this is the premiere of the uh, final two episodes of the three-part series that is uh, created by uh, Archer's Mark and Atlas V. And uh, Atlas V, I always get that wrong. I can't remember. It's V or five, Roman Roman numerals. It's coming to a headset near you on the 24th. So you will be able to experience this at home soon if you have a MetaQuest. And it is completely 
worth it. Uh, uh, the, the production team is the folks who did notes on blindness, and there's this sort of point cloud pointillism aesthetic uh, that's deployed. And you know, it's funny. There's there's another piece in um, you know in this year's crop uh, that uses some of that aesthetic, but just uses the aesthetic as an aesthetic and doesn't really do anything with it, which kind of left me scratching my head being like, why, why is this here? Uh, but there are moments in this that use that aesthetic to move your attention around the space, to create a sense of connection, uh, to, to give you a, a visceral sense of being able to, have some effect in this world, even though it's a it's a linear narrative being told through volumetric video. Um, the second episode, uh, which is the the first of the new the new episodes here, well, frame me up. What is this about? Uh, this is specifically about the uh, thirty eight minute period of time in twenty eighteen when uh, everyone in Hawaii thought that a ballistic missile was headed their way because everyone got a text alert, one of those emergency services text alerts that said, ballistic missile inbound, take shelter. This is not a drill. It's not quite the exact quote, but this is not a drill was still on chilling. Yeah. Absolute, absolute chilling. And basically everyone thought they were going to die. Uh, you get moments in this piece where people are talking about how their kids were told to sit down and get ready to die. Um, there's interviews in this piece, Daniel Ellsberg, who, uh, you know, is who uncovered the Pentagon. He leaked the Pentagon papers back in the seventies. Uh, he, he's in this piece talking about nuclear proliferation. There are experts on nuclear pro- proliferation talking. And when this one first, uh, the first episode came out at Sundance this year, late January, uh, and, and it, it hit pretty hard and was a was a stark reminder that yeah we've got enough nuclear weapons to blow up the the planet several times over and if an exchange starts it's basically it's game over for humanity but we still had at that time this little bit of sheen of like well no one's gonna be crazy enough to do this seven weeks later we've got the invasion of ukraine we have russia rattling its nuclear arsenal saber specifically like Every couple of days, making threats that well, maybe we'll do it, or people on you know in their media sphere, you know, calling on it. You've got people in our media sphere being kind of cavalier and be like, "Well, what's what would a little nuclear exchange? Couldn't we have one as a treat?" You know, just missing the entire reality of it. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, no, people. There's. I've watched the pundit class be like, "Well, you know, like just if there was a small, there's a tactical nuke exchange or something like that." And it's just like, oh. You, like if, if you see someone doing that, like just cut them off, block them forever. Like it's just a it's just a tiny bit of nuclear war, not a lot, just like yeah, a little. just just be done with that person. Like just be done with them. Um, it, it really boggles my mind that some of these people have like high paying pundit jobs and can even like they're, they're idiots. They're just total idiots. Um, this this piece hits differently now, to say the least. the The second episode is quite remarkable uh they introduce uh, a woman who was a child at the time of uh, hiroshima she was a survivor she was outside the city at the time headed in for school that day she says you know if she had been one year older she would have already been at school she would be dead 
uh, and uh, she appears in full volumetric capture, and it's just it's it's a gorgeous capture uh, from a technical standpoint, but so you get a, even though there's still some of that kind of like volumetric capture artifacting thing that happens, you know, uh, so much of her mannerisms come through that you you get a sense that you're you know seeing someone uh in in a in a version of their environment and i found myself really shook uh by the end of it um both pieces are incredible there's um there's a, an amazing uh hawaiian poet who is one of the co-directors and uh, is like the the principal uh, narrator on the piece just just some some lovely spoken word uh work that's going in here and uh, you know let's say we we collectively even though a lot of us aren't doing anything you know in a practical sense but we're all we're all held hostage right now by what's going on uh in in ukraine and uh all sitting here with like bated breath as to whether or not uh, it scales up if someone decides to do the unthinkable because the some unthinkable things have already occurred um or or, or conversely find ourselves just hoping that this is just the normal kind of human horror that is always unfolding at all places all the time but assuming we get through this you know scenario without it escalating up to any kind of exchange just being left with knowing that, that we got to do something to get rid of these fucking things Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and there doesn't seem to be much of a way to get to that point. Uh, and probably the current situation has set us back in terms of any hope of getting rid of them, but also makes it clear that we really got to get rid of them, uh, that we tolerate their existence is absurd. Uh, and also kind of like goes back to that, you know, <laughs> humans are really bad at, at, at these kind of crises that are like way bigger than us. Um, it's, uh, it's, our our brains are still wired for like, you know, a lion on, on the Savannah coming at us as opposed to this kind of more, you know, existential threat. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, this, and this experience also won the jury award at South by Southwest. So congratulations to the team. Yeah, congratulations, team! Well deserved from the jury, uh, and just just an absolute incredible piece of work uh, that's currently there. And yes, on the morning you wake to the end of the world, it will be on the MetaQuest platform uh, at on the twenty fourth, as I believe you mentioned. I think I wrote twenty fifth in the piece. I'll edit that up later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I don't I don't know <laughs> I don't know if it's going to cost anything. The problem always the problem is when I look on the the. <laughs> When I look in the Oculus Store, I'm going to call it the Oculus Store, uh, after we've been given access to something, can never figure out what anything costs because it just says, you've bought it. And so I can't tell someone like, oh, this is going to cost something or this is free, which really drives me up the wall because I'd love to be able to tell people, oh, yeah, it's this much, but no right. idea. You know, just like, you've purchased it. Um, not, not really, not really conducive to sharing everybody. Yeah. Uh, maybe not, not the best. <laughs> maybe you want to change that. Maybe you want to change that a little bit. Um, this is, uh, these are, these are the, the tr- tips and tricks. 
Uh, let's circle back to another one that you did that I didn't get a chance to check out yet, uh, and that is Minimum Mass. You said that this was another one you really enjoyed. So, yeah. Um, so this is a short film uh, animated by two filmmakers out of New Zealand, uh, Rocky Syed and Arito Echevara. And they are telling a really personal story here about miscarriage and trying to conceive and just all of the stuff that happens there with a really interesting science fiction twist because the it's a, it's a little bit like speculative fiction and the thinking is that what if the reason why these babies aren't being born is because there's a tiny black hole inside uh, the female partner's body. Huh. So yeah, it's it's mashing together a lot of really interesting ideas because it is animated, but they did motion capture to kind of bring these characters to life. It's based on a personal story, but it has that science fiction element. And what I found to be really, really interesting is that, so normally I don't really go for uh, interactive media or VR experiences where I feel more like a ghost or a voyeur. Like I think if I don't have hands, I don't have that much agency in the world. It's just agency of perspective. Oftentimes the execution of the film itself or the execution of the narrative needs to transcend that part that kind of bugs me in terms of like my own presence and immersion. And I found that to be the case here because everything is at this dollhouse scale, but the scenes are set in these 3D models that are almost like dollhouse or cutaways. And so you'll see, for example, a car driving along a twisting road. And in order to follow the action, you need to maybe pull the, the earth closer to you or push it further away, or you need to reach up and grab a house or reach down from below and like pull up the hospital. And once it's uh, basically more eye level, you can swivel it around 360 degrees and they've done a really wonderful job of providing enough kind of in-world cutouts. So if you wanted to, you could see this couple having a really intense conversation with a doctor through a window or through mm. a doorway. Or you can turn it a little further and get that actual dollhouse kind of cutaway view. And for some of the scenes, um, they've applied a filter. And so if you're looking at it from like the back I guess, of where the action would be, like the back of the set. Everything turns this like kind of milky, opaque gray, but this is all being done in response to what you're doing. Um, and like performance-wise, it's all very smooth. It all feels super responsive. And then um, I guess, slight spoiler alert, you do have a role in the story, but that is not revealed till the end, which I thought was like a really nice magic trick because it shows to me also that they, they kind of thought about... Um, who the viewer is and why the viewer can like pull and push and rotate these sets around. Yeah. So I don't want to spoil who you are, but a lot of times when I see this stuff, especially on the festival circuit, you're just, you're a God, you can mess with them. You can do stuff. It's not clear why you have the powers. And then at the end of this, I was like, Oh, narratively. Oh, it makes sense. I get it. And of course it's science fiction. So they have a little bit more leeway in terms of trying to do something that's like true to life, true to the world and physics around it. So really beautifully done, well animated, well acted, really fascinating story. Um, so yeah, I thought 
that this, and this is a piece I've been trying to see for a while. Um, it was actually at Venice a year or two ago, and it would not work on my machine. So I was like, I really want to see this. Kent Bai told me it's really good. Okay, cool. And it definitely lived up to that like expectation. Well, I guess also one of the thing, themes I'm detecting here is like we're we're all in on the bummer stories this year. Uh, <laughs> it's like we've got 9-11, uh, nuclear destruction, uh, miscarriages, and and now we're going to talk about end of life because uh, we're talking about gumball dreams. Um, oh wow, I did not know that's what that was about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, so so gumball dreams is uh, an, the latest piece from the Ferryman Collective, who did a welcome to respite. Uh, or the severance theory welcome to respite which was on this the festival circuit uh for a hot minute there i think it's still uh, uh occasionally popping up uh this is a uh xr theater piece a performance-based piece uh, that uses vr much like welcome to respite uh, uses a vr chat as its stage uh, a vr chat world um in this case this is based off of a couple of worlds that uh, Christopher Lane Davis, aka Screaming Color, uh, who is a, mus- a musician and a, a visual designer, uh, that, uh, that uh, Christopher put together. Uh, one of which is called Gumball Lounge, which I believe is the one that's available uh, just on Quest. And then there's the other one. I can't remember. It's Gumball something, but it's it's Gumball themed. And these are these um, kind of occult vaporwave uh, gumball-themed worlds that have some puzzling elements and some really incredible effects in them uh, that uh, I haven't done the full PC version of it. And so I can't tell. Uh, I've, I've run mm. around the, the lounge I, I've done like a little, and I think it's so funny. It There's like this extra element of it being a VR chat world because the puzzly one for PC VR is public. And so I was in there just kind of farting around and then two other people came in and they like solved some of the puzzles. And I was like, oh, this is really fascinating because this is just a world that's open all the time. It's not um, timed like a show is. So he has experience in that too. Yeah. And so, and it's, it's a, it's very, it's very spectacular, like just like that world. And what they've done is they have used, this is the foundation for a narrative performance piece. So this is three participants, uh, again, uh, you know, paired with one performer who takes on a couple of different roles over the course of of the of the production, uh, and you uh, you have kind of the the round robin format. So structurally, it's three people come in, they get. Uh, avatars that are keyed to be appropriate for the world. They're uh, brought in through these kind of non-Euclidean pathways into the wider world of the Gumball Dreams set. Uh, there is an encounter with uh, the character Onyx, who is this alien who's uh, coming to the end of their life and has uh, is going to be transcending and, and needs some help uh crossing the threshold and you as a, a group are tasked with going to collect uh, these, these three objects that they've placed through uh, the, the zone in, in different zones uh, to retrieve them, bring them back and, and help trigger uh, Onyx Ascension. And folks are sent off in pairs 
uh, to go accomplish tasks. And while two of the people are away, one of the participants has a one-on-one encounter with Onyx. Uh, this is done by the performer live in real time. And then the people come back, trigger the thing, and like the next round goes off. And then the finale is everyone together for a, a performance piece that's also this like special effects spectacle uh, that is this really beautiful and uh, on like a, a visual art level moving, particularly if you have any penchant for kind of, you know, uh, uh, vaporwave or, or occulty imagery, uh, but kind of like tuned up light wise uh like not like dark occult but there's there's you know there's there's mandalas and you know occulty scripts and whatnot and mm-hmm. and ufo or like the spiritual part i guess yeah yeah it's, it's in it's in that vibe but you know like if you've been around the block a few times you can kind of recognize where some things are coming from you're like okay you know like there's there's a there's a little bit of the capitalistic tree of life there's a little bit of buddhism here there's a little bit of this a little bit of that. yeah yeah sp- you know kind of pastiche uh spirituality which which feels very much also like an expression of Christopher Lane Davis, um, you know, where, where. Oh yeah. Where his, his aesthetic as an yeah. artist and his inspirations. Absolutely. Like very much on display. And I just find it really interesting that the Ferryman Collective has, has put, has used one of these worlds as a set to tell a story. I think that's very exciting. Uh, I think structurally using the round Robin is, is pretty good. Um, I, I even think like the overall frame and the overall story they're telling is, is, is good. It's interesting. I think where, where it, it didn't entirely click for me, uh, came down, or at least part of it didn't click for me is it came down to, there's, there's a thing that happens, uh, particularly, uh, you see it a lot on the LA immersive theater scene where, uh, you know, the one-on-one scene can wind up having aspects of a cold read, like you would have at, you know, like a, a magic show, uh, or, um, or 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 one where you're basically being prompted to speak on a subject. And, you know, on on the time that I did it, uh, the the director Deirdre Lyons was performing. She was subbing in for someone else. And, and Deirdre, this is this is not a knock on Deirdre at all, because Deirdre's Deirdre's great. I've played plenty of great scenes with Deirdre over the years, but she did she did use the fact that she knew me to have the character like pull something up, and I just didn't want to talk about that that night, you know. So like in some ways it tripped her up. This is something that people often do with me too, right? Like they're like, oh, I know Noah. I'm gonna tap into this, and it's like I'm not having it right now. I'm like I'm not interested in in, in playing that game tonight. And but also on top of it, I don't generally find the form of hey. Uh, how do you feel about X? Let me get you talking about X. And this is going to be what the one-on-one is. Because then it feels like therapy. Hmm. And Did, did they much... offer anything or make, like, because I feel like oftentimes a character has to, like, share something first and then invite you to, like, agree or disagree? Or was it just yeah, like, no, cold? like, like uh, yeah, this, this what do you think this... about death? Yeah, it was it was more like, you know, she was like, like hey, you, you strike me as someone who who's really, you know, X, right? You know, and that X is, like, a thing, and it's known. And I just really didn't want to think about that. <laughs> like, I wasn't there to, like, think about that that night, right? Um, and, and it was, it, you know, it, it could vibe a bit with who the character was set up as, but I didn't feel like I was learning anything about the character, through that conversation. Oh. And it, it did help me kind of understand, uh, and this way I'm thankful for having this experience, the difference between 
a prompt and a provocation. And a prompt is, hey, X, what do you think? Which can be delivered a couple different ways. In this case, it was, you strike me as someone who X, how is that for you? That's a prompt. Mm-hmm. As opposed to if the character had been, ah, I am put upon by X, and here's my thing with X. And that provocation, which then might lead me to open up and say, like, oh, I, I know how you feel because mm-hmm. of why. Like they need to share something first. They need to show vulnerability first. And yeah. then that's an invitation for you to join them in that vulnerability. Like if if I if I want to. Right. And 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 that distinction, prompt versus provocation, I feel like maybe the blade between definitely for me success or failure in terms of whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying a particular encounter. But I also think might be one of the keys to the whole shebang. And I, and I meaning immersive as a whole. And I know <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> not just this, not to this piece, but all of immersive. And I know that for people who haven't even experienced a character giving them a prompt, right. Who haven't even had that level that this thing could still blow their minds. Right. Like people come in, be like, "My God, this!" Like, like, because I got the sense of like people in the session I was with that they had been in VR chat worlds before, but hadn't encountered something at the level that that Screaming Color does, and definitely hadn't been interacting too much with characters, right? Or people like like professional performers, not just folks role playing. And so all of that's there. The table, like these are these are big table stakes. This is not the five dollar table. This is the hundred dollar, thousand dollar table in terms of table stakes for what you can do in VR chat. But because the table stakes are high, that little meter for me goes up. And I I want to see provocation, not prompting. Um but again, right. I'm also thankful that I now have I have language I didn't have before because I had to sit there and think about like why didn't that work for me? Right, right. In in terms of like an exchange, who goes first and who makes the first offer is really important. And yeah. having do you it go not first, do I go first? Yeah, I, I can't understand what the whole apparatus. Sorry. And uh, then like, if it feels like someone's making a demand on you and they haven't earned it, you can be like really put off by that. Yeah, and and this definitely wasn't didn't go that far. And and look, this was a, a blade. In the in the in the sheath, as it were, uh, the whole of the piece is really stunning, really spectacular. Mm-hmm. It didn't turn me off the whole thing. It's just it definitely struck a chord that made me really start like you know digging away like what's here. And I do think that there's just a little, you know, uh, there's a, there's a one approach that might be like doing more heavy writing on the character and and creating creating more of a sense of what that character wants and needs. And, and it's, it's a big swing, right? You know, like the character is coming to the end of their life and needs to be helped passing on. And that, that's a heavy thing. That's a really heavy thing. And it's a universal. But I do think that the specific is also the key to the universal. And, a, and, a, and there needs to be a little bit more specificity around who that character is. And I think that can also come out through provocation as opposed to prompting. Because it's going to be easier for the audience to let go uh, and and play or engage with the material, uh, the more 
that that sort of the, the safety of the fiction is is crafted by by the character being a, a more more realized individual um but but even with that right because now now we're in like you know now we're in the nitty-gritty <laughs> yeah the nitty-gritty in the real first world problems yeah but but the form and the structure and the denouement you know all of it just really nifty and and just also a testament to how in vr this type of work can just have elements that are just impossible to pull off IRL. Mm-hmm. Impossible. Will right, never right. And, be yeah. accomplished. Will never be accomplished in AR. Will never be accomplished physically. Just literally impossible. And are still, still can move, can move you emotionally. Uh, so if you get a chance to check it out, definitely check it out. And, um, and, and, uh, Christopher has two VR chat worlds. One's quest friendly, one isn't. So if you are a VR chat person, you can find club gumball and gumball lounge on VR chat. That's right. Club gumball is the PC one, but there may be some of the elements. I mean, definitely the sets are there. I don't know if the puzzles or if some of the later act stuff occurs when you like unlock some of the puzzle things in there. Uh, but uh, you won't be running around with the character, and uh, you won't have that experience in there. Right. If you just uh, want to like experience uh, screaming colors art, yeah. essentially. But I, but I would say, I would actually say, if you can, and I'm sure they're gonna have plans. The Ferryman Collective usually runs these things after festivals. Uh, I might actually hold out. You know, maybe don't go looking because. Uh, oh, but the uh, art is so good. Come the on. art, but that, yeah, the art is so good. But like the impact of like getting it all together. For the first time, that's the thing. I'll never be able to walk into that space, you know, not having seen um, Screaming Colors aesthetic. Okay, uh, yeah. and so just that that full the full the full effect is is kind of amazing. Um, okay, we are coming towards the end of our our time. Uh, lightning round. Anything else? Uh, anything else? Really, really quick that uh, that stood out in the in the mix this year. Um, so. The Choice, which is an interactive documentary about a woman in Texas who was, I guess, misled through, it's the kind of like omission of information that she should have had during her pregnancy that led to her eventually needing to have an abortion to save her life and how difficult it was to do it in Texas. Um, Mm. Really great work, very moving content. Um, and then there's light moments of interaction because you as the viewer kind of um, reach out and physically touch uh, one of two options to like ask the next question. And it's all done with this person who experienced this kind of looking right at you as a VR viewer. So very high level of execution on this. And then I guess for a less bummer kind of thing, uh, Red Ants VR is an interactive sandbox. They're calling it an interactive music video. And you, you're in this kind of VR chat looking world and there are some ants on the ground and there's a sign that says, put the ants on your body. And it looks like a park campground kind of sign. And when you put the ants on your body, that's when like the music actually starts. Hmm. And everything in the world is hittable and a musical instrument. So there's like uh, some barrels and a car and an old timey radio and a wrench and you could literally just run around this world hitting things. Oh, and then you see yourself up on the big screen in 
um, your custom avatar that fits in with this world. And you, you've literally got ants on your body. And it's it's wacky and it's playful and it's interactive. So um, definitely recommend checking that one out because I think that'd be I think that would be your jam, Noah. Yeah, like I gotta. So the reason why I'm not talking about that one and excited is that you know we had issues with um, getting the platforms to work, um, and uh, you know, full disclosure, like the, the the folks who built the platform, they were they were trying to help as much as they could, like in our Twitter DMs. Uh, you know, the there's there's who knows what the interoperability issues was. Like both Catherine and I had this will be upon vastly different experiences of the platform the platform's called fast yes <laughs> uh, we had we had distinct problems we had that different were problems separate. my were separate. problems were not noah's problems and, and vice versa yeah and so that which means we also couldn't help each other um also ironically at one point we were both in the space at the same time but couldn't talk to each other so we just waved <laughs> at each other it was it was a little bit it was it was actually a lot frustrating um because you know, uh, we're, we're not there for the intermediary platform that shows the stuff off. If it works, it's great. It's fun. It can be great and additive, but it it was unfortunately it, the, the net effect, which was not intended, definitely. But the net effect was it stood in the way of the content, and I downloaded the full sixty-two gigs of the content. And I could only play two things. And I downloaded it twice. <laughs> and it took a long time. So it was frustrating um, when you've got all this lovely work. Uh, and there's all kinds of reasons why it goes that way. Um, but the attempt to find a single shot solution. And the only thing I think is really frustrating about this is. One of the only thing, but like some of the stuff that's frustrating about it is that there there are other ways to deliver the content. There's also the option of like not trying it this way and not offering it up. Like at, at the end of the day, I probably would have preferred for South by to just say, "Yeah, we're not hybrid this year. We're not offering stuff online. Uh, like that's we 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 don't have a delivery mechanism that we want to do." Vast is is in beta right now, so you know it, it isn't even supposed to be ready for prime time. I kind of feel bad for them because this was not a great debut. We'll reserve judgment on what they're building until they've made an official debut in the summer, but it it can't be a great thing for 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 the team over there to like have this sort of stuff going on. It's got to be big frustrating for them. It's definitely frustrating for us. More to the point, it's got to be frustrating for the creators of this work because, you know, folks can't talk about it. I'm not talking like, oh, no, no, Presidium can't talk about it. Like, who cares, right? You know, who cares? I mean, some people care. No, but like they've been you working know, but, on these projects for yeah. months and months and they want to show them to the world. To and, as many people as they can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's just, uh, you know, my my advice to festivals is – if you're going to make stuff available, just go, you know, feel free to play around with these full graphical interfaces, VR interfaces for it. Feel free to play around and make, but make them optional. Make sure that the content is attainable. Uh, and I, and I do understand there's levels of security and you don't necessarily want people running around with this stuff. 
uh, and trading it. I, I get it. I totally get it. But like, folk, if if that's your focus, focus on that, uh, and not not necessarily trying to trying to do the, the the full graphical interface on top of that because those are two distinct problems, and and one day they'll be solved. And sometimes they do get solved together, but the content is the important thing. Right. It like, really is. In the physical instance of a VR festival, you go to one venue for all your socializing and meeting the creators and seeing the content. And when you decide to try to replicate that and the back end doesn't work, it's just really it's really sad <laughs> and frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not it's definitely not the end of the world. <laughs> you know which we talked about earlier in this in this edition but uh it 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 it'd be better just to like not have it as an option at all uh because then you, you know no no um no expectations no disappointment right that's that's the rule of life mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. expect yeah disappointment it, is a function of expectation for sure exactly exactly um and and it and it is uh and it doesn't actually reflect the actual quality of what's been curated because I got to say like, you know, just when I went through on the morning, you wait to the end of the world, which I, which I was able to download through a press link uh, separately onto, onto my quest. Um, you know, I got through that when I was like, even though I know this is coming out and it's probably going to be free later on, like this was kind of worth the price of admission, right? Like the, the effort of, of getting the badge and all the other stuff. To be able to like between that and Gumball Dreams, like those two pieces, I was like, this was worth the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, and like f- if you hadn't seen Gondwana before, it would have been worth it too for that. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, oh, and that's the thing, right? Like so, the, the, and this lineup has been this lineup, the South by Southwest lineup, you know, is is really amazing this year in terms of like all the other stuff that's in here, right? So, Gondwana, uh, Brianna's Garden. There's just there's just a ton yeah. of work in here. Goliath um, playing with reality, like. I know it's free on Quest right now, but even for the stuff that's already free on Quest, like this is another opportunity for someone to showcase their project and get attention and get people in. Yeah. The bench is the bench is really deep right now. The bench is really deep. Uh and there's stuff that was not available online, like making the Stalin enter the Hottieverse, uh, that I would have really liked to have checked out. <laughs> Or, you know, uh, David Attenborough's Green Planet Air experience done with the BBC. Like, they were going to stand up, like, one of the biomes in an installation in South by. Like, that would have been cool to see, too. <laughs> Just yeah, opposite ends I of mean, the spectrum. Yeah, yeah, Megan yeah, Lee yeah. Stallion. I'm going to go David Attenborough. Six to one, half a dozen to the other. Hey. Uh, now, we, we can, can, we can work, hold we can these things together. Yeah. Put them to uh, collab. I want to see that collab. That's going to okay. be interesting. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Um. Okay, that's a fun place to end. Because uh, otherwise, we'll start talking about like I don't know whatever other sad thing was in the mix this year. So, uh, uh, thanks for everybody for sticking around this special edition uh, of, of Review Crew. Uh, we've gone so long that yeah, this this will get separated and be its own drop. And uh, but you knew that already when you started listening. Uh, Catherine, when do we see you again? Who knows? <laughs> uh. I'll see everyone for headlines on the next episode of the podcast. Fantastic. All right. Uh, (laughs) Until then, uh, be good and be good to each other.